Part two of Chapter two of XYZ A Detective Story by Anna Catherine Green. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Carolyn. Part two of Chapter two The Black Domino. I started, recognizing in this mode of speech a friend, and therefore one from whom I could not escape without running the risk of awakening suspicion. That is true. I returned, hoping by my abrupt replies to shortcut this fresh colloquy and win a speedy release. But something in my answer roused the interest of the person at my side, and caused a display of emotion that led to quite an opposite result from what I desired. "'You awaken a thousand conjectures in my mind by that reply,' exclaimed my friend, edging me a little farther back from the crowd. "'I have always had my doubts about—' about he paused hunting for the proper phrase about your having done what they said he somewhat lamely concluded it was so unlike you but now i begin to see the presence of a possibility that you might perhaps explain much we never understood joe my boy you never said you were innocent but who are you i asked boldly peering into the twinkling eyes that shone upon me from his sedate mask. In the discussion of such matters as these, it would be dreadful to make a mistake. "'And don't you recognize your Uncle Joe?' he asked, with a certain plaintive reproach, somewhat out of keeping with his costume of potent, grave, and reverend seigneur. "'I came over from Hollowell on purpose, because Carrie intimated that you were going to make one final effort to see your father.' "'Edith is here, too,' he murmured, thrusting his face alarmingly near mine. "'She would not stay away, though we were all afraid she might betray herself. "'Her emotions are so quick. "'Poor child, she never doubted you. "'And if my suspicions are correct—' "'Edith,' I interrupted. "'Edith!' "'And Edith was the last person I desired to meet under these circumstances. "'Where's she?' I tremulously inquired— starting aside in some dismay at the prospect of encountering this unknown quantity of love and devotion but my companion seizing me by the arm drew me back she is not far away of that you may be sure but it will never do for you to try and hunt her up you would not know her in her mask besides if you remain still she will come to you that was just what i feared but upon looking around and seeing no suspicious-looking damsel anywhere near me I concluded to waive my apprehensions on her account, and proceeded to the development of an idea that had been awakened by the old gentleman's words. "'You are right,' I acquiesced, edging, in my turn, toward the curtained recess of a window nearby. "'Let us wait here, and meantime you shall tell me what your suspicions are, for I feel the time has come for the truth to be made known, and who would better aid me in proclaiming it than you who have always stood my friend?' that is true he murmured all eagerness at once then in a lower tone and with a significant gesture there is something then which has never been made known edith was right when she said you did not steal the bonds out of your father's desk as he paused and looked me in the face i was obliged to make some reply i choose one of the non-committal sort don't ask me i murmured turning away with every appearance of profound agitation he did not suspect the ruse. "'But, my boy, I shall have to ask you. 
If I am to help you out of this scrape, I must know the truth. Yet, if it is as I suspect, I can see why you should hesitate even now. You are a generous fellow, Joe, but even generosity can be carried past its proper limits. Uncle, I exclaimed, leaning over him and whispering tremulously in his ear, what are your suspicions? If I hear you give utterance to them, perhaps it will not be so hard for me to speak. He hesitated, looked all about us with a questioning glance, put his mouth to my ear, and whispered, If I should use the name of Hartley in connection with what I have to say, would you be so very much surprised? With a quick semblance of emotion, I drew back. You think, I tremulously commenced, and I suddenly broke off. That it was he who did it, and that you, knowing how your father loved him and built his hopes upon him, bore the blame of it yourself. Ha! Huh, I exclaimed, with a deep breath as of relief. The suspicions of Uncle Joe were worth hearing. He seemed to be satisfied with the ejaculation, and with an increase of eagerness in his tone went quickly on. Am I not right, my boy? Is not this the secret of your whole conduct from that dreadful day to this? Don't ask me, I again pleaded, taking care, however, to draw a step nearer and exclaim in almost the same breath, Why should you think it must necessarily have been one of us? What did you know that you should be so positive it was either he or I who committed this dishonest action? What did I know? Why, what everybody else did that your father, hearing a noise in his study one night, rose up quietly and slipped to the door of communication in time to hear a stealthy foot leave the room and proceed down the hall toward the apartment usually occupied by you and your brother, that, alarmed and filled with vague distrust, he at once lit the lamp, only to discover his desk had been forcibly broken into and a number of coupon bonds taken out, that, struck to the heart, he went immediately to the room where you and your brother lay, found him lying quiet, and to all appearances asleep, while you looked flushed and with difficulty met his eye, that without hesitation he thereupon accused you of theft, and began to search the apartment, that you found the bonds, as we both know, in a cupboard at the head of your bed, and when you were asked if you had put them there you remained silent, and neither then nor afterward made any denial of being the one who stole them. A mournful yes was all the reply I ventured upon. Now it never seemed to occur to your father to doubt your guilt. The open window and the burglar's jimmy found lying on the floor of the study, being only so many proofs, to his mind, of your deep calculation and great duplicity. But I could not help thinking— even on that horrible morning, that your face did not wear a look of guilt so much as it did that of firm and quiet resolution. But I was far from suspecting the truth, my boy, or I should never have allowed you to fall a victim to your father's curse, and be sent forth like a criminal from home and kindred. If only for Edith's sake I would have spoken, dear trusting faithful girl that she is. But, but— I brokenly ejaculated, anxious to gain as much of the truth as was possible in the few minutes allotted me. What has awakened your suspicions at this late day? Why should you doubt hardly now, if you did not then? Well, I cannot really say, 
Perhaps Edith's persistent aversion to your brother has had something to do with it. Then he has grown cold and hard, while you have preserved your boyish freshness and affection. I... I don't like him, that is the truth, and with my dislike arose doubts, and... and... well, I cannot tell how it is, but I will believe you if you say he was the one to blame in this matter, and what is more, your father will believe you too, for he does not feel the same satisfaction in Hartley's irreproachable character that he used to, and... and... a sudden movement in the crown stopped him. A tall, graceful-looking woman clad entirely in white had just entered the room and seemed to be making her way toward us. "'There's Edith,' he declared. "'She is hunting for the yellow domino ornamented with black that she has been told conceals her lover. Shall I go and fetch her here, or will you wait here until she spies you of your own accord?' "'I will wait,' I uneasily replied edging nearer to the window with the determination of using it as a means of escape if my companion only gave me the chance. See, she's in the hands of an old Jew, who seems to be greatly taken with the silver trimmings on her sleeves. Suppose you improve the opportunity to slip away, I laughingly suggested. Lovers' meetings are not usually of an order to interest third parties. Aren't they, you rogue, returned the old gentleman, giving me a jocose poke in the ribs. Well, well, I suppose you are right, but you have not told me. I will tell you everything in an hour, I hastily assured him. I am going to meet my father in the library, and after he has heard the truth, you shall be admitted, and all will be explained. That is only fair, he replied. Your father has the first rights, of course. But, Joe, my boy, Remember I am not over and above patient of disposition, and don't keep me waiting too long. And with an affectionate squeeze of my hand, he stepped out from the recess where we stood and made his way once more into the throng. No sooner had he left my sight than I threw up the window. Now is the time for the real Joe to appear upon the scene, was my mental decision. I have done for him what he as a gentleman would probably never do for himself— pumped this old party and got everything in trim for hartley's discomfiture but the courting business is another matter also the interview with the outraged father in the library that cannot be done by proxy so here goes for a change of actors and with reckless discard of consequences i prepared to jump from the window when a sudden light flashed over the lawn beneath and i saw i was at least twelve feet from the ground well i exclaimed drawing hastily back such a leap as that is too much to expect of any man and with the humiliating consciousness of being caught in a trap i proceeded to close the window joe it was a low whisper but how thrilling turning i greeted with a show of fervour i considered necessary to the occasion the white veiled lady who had glided into my retreat did you think I was never coming, Joe? Everybody who could get in my way certainly managed to do so. Then Hartley is so suspicious, and followed me with his eyes so persistently, I did not dare to show my designs too plainly. It is only this minute he left my side. If he had been anywhere else, I do not know as I should have succeeded even now in getting a word with you. Oh! This exclamation was called forth by a sudden movement that took place near us. 
The curtain was drawn back, and a tall man dressed in a black domino glanced in, gave us a scrutinizing look, bowed, and dropped the curtain again. Hartley, she whisperingly explained. I took her by the hand. There was no help for it. Gesture and a lover-like demeanor must, in this case, supply the place of speech. Hush, she entreated. Not that I had spoken. I dare not stay. When you have seen your father, perhaps I will have courage to join you. But now it would be better for me to go. And her eyes roamed towards the curtain, while the little hand I held in mine grew cold and slightly trembled. I pressed that little hand, but, as you may well believe, did not urge her to remain. Yet she did not seem in a hurry to depart, and I do not know what complications might have ensued if another movement in the curtain had not reawakened her fears and caused her, notwithstanding her evident reluctance, to start quickly away. I did not linger long behind her. Scarcely had the curtain fallen from her hand that I stepped hastily forth. But, alas for my hope of escape, no sooner had I joined the group of merrymakers circling about the open door than I felt a touch on my arm, and, looking up, saw before me the black domino. The hour of ten had struck and my guide to the library was at hand. There was no alternative left for me but to follow him. End of part two of chapter two.